celebrating success, learning from legends, and growing poppies. This is Tall Poppy Talk with Grace Lewis. Kia ora and welcome back to the final season one recap. Season two is well underway and I cannot wait to share it with you, but we're going to have to because today we're going to dive into four really interesting interviews with Rachel Mang Brown, Alex Stewart, Jackie Mackley and Deidria Farmer-Palman. Before we dive into Rachel's one, I wanted to explain what NIL is because fair enough, someone pointed out that in her interview, we mention it a lot. So NIL stands for Name, Image and Likeness, which her company, Gen Agency, essentially helps athletes who are in the college system, this is US-based college system, be able to make sponsorship deals and advocate for themselves in the best way for their name, image and likeness, which is really recent and there's not a lot of legislation around it. So that's what Gen Agency does and is you know trying to pursue. But the part I've actually grabbed from Rachel's interview is about her evolution in her career and the evolution of social media marketing, especially since and during COVID. Yeah, yeah. so it's funny. I actually had worked with influencers and athletes previous to founding the company. You know, like you said, I was with the PGA Tour. I was with US Rowing. I was with New York Mets. Um, But from there, really, my goal has always been to build a company that would help democratize uh, sports and media for the players. So it was really pre-COVID um, that I started this idea. And then during COVID, actually, that's when the company started. But really, social media marketing kind of like popped off, right? It was uh, because of lockdown that people were on their phones, they were stuck on their computers, they were watching Netflix, like they were just doing everything to grow this social media space. And they were buying things off the internet. So that's really where social media marketing, geofencing, all that really came into play and kind of built up the social media market as it is now. Um, all this really led to like the inception of the company um, and the rise of social media marketing. And that's something that myself and my former co-founders like really recognized that this was going to be the next um, era of business. This was going to be the thing that like people were talking about and doing. So I ended up working with different companies um, to work with their marketing, their personal branding. And then eventually TikTok hired me as an official partner. Um, I helped transition the platform as a creator from like the dancing, the singing, just like all the fun stuff into like the DIY, the education, um, more of those videos that you see now. And then eventually, you know, I started managing creators on my own. And then that led to me teaming up with other influencers, other um like people in this space to start the agency back in 2021. And then nowadays, um, most recently, I absorbed the shares from my last co-founder. So now I'm the sole owner of the agency itself. Wow. How was that transition? Do you enjoy having the sole power (laughs) of the agency? I know it sounds like, ah, (laughs) um, you know, I do. I think that, you know, through that whole journey, I, this was always like my goal. This was always, um, my dream. And I think that because it aligns so much with what I wanted to do, uh, for the economy and for my future, I think that I always had a really, you know, strong, uh, passion and like heavy hands in the background. Um, I've always been more of like the front facing and like handling a lot of the operations. So it wasn't a hard transition, but I think that, um, what it has done is like not only confidence, but it has allowed me to really be able to explore the things that like I'm passionate about and spend more time with the creators talking about the issues that they have and trying to find a way to resolve them. 
diving in from, well, diving out from one CEO and founder to another. Next up, we have Alex Stewart, who is the founder and CEO of Womba Net Limited, which is a rural, well, not even just rural, but an internet provider in New Zealand and just doing incredible things and started at a very young age. So we're going to discuss some of the challenges he had, what kept him going and what continues to be his motivator taken seriously but entering this industry where everyone you know when we when I go to conferences and everyone in the room are you know in their 50s or 60s as a 14 year old it was very and I understood why um but 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 yeah it was very difficult for me to be taken seriously and it did it did also affect it, it affected growing the business because I wasn't able to develop sort of you know business relationships as easily because I couldn't really go up to at the beginning, I couldn't really go up to people. I didn't really have the uh, the courage, nor the um, nor the uh, what's the word? Like relatability. I don't know. Is yeah, that yeah, part yeah, of yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. And and so and so going like yeah, people just weren't really interested in talking to me. And we and when the first sort of um the articles came out because I needed, I thought, how am I going to build credibility? I can't. Um, I don't have money to run ads. I can make a website, but no one's going to go to it. Um, I need people to know that I'm doing this and I need people, um, I need feedback to, you know, improve the model. And so I went to the media and and and, and, a, and a lot of them were interested in, um, in writing about it uh, and what I was doing. But once some of those articles started coming out, I, I, I made some comments that uh, other people in the industry didn't like me making. They were, some of them were, you know, sort of, semi trade secrets um and some of them were also um uh me sort of promising things that were um at a higher level than what other providers who have been around for 20 years were were doing um and i was saying that i would be able to you know do what they're doing and even better and they really didn't like that because you know people were coming uh, going to them saying you know uh, can we maybe you know have a faster plan they were saying no this is the most we can do for you right now and I was saying that that wasn't the case um and so within the industry uh for the first couple years I was I would say I was looked down upon and I and I wasn't very well liked and it, and it was difficult you know going into business trying to understand that because I'd never been in that sort of situation before I'd never been in business before and going into that at such a young age when I was you know, still dealing with friendship problems, you know, high school friendship stuff and going into this business world, it was very, um, it was very overwhelming. And, um, and yeah, and I think, yeah, as I said, me being so young in this industry, um, making all these promises, it, it, it didn't help either with my credibility within the industry and, um, and my sort of overall likability. And I'm in two minds because part of me is mad, right? But the other part's not surprised because yeah, it's the whole essence, right, of tall poppy is maybe like mentors want to see you do well as a side hustle. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Oh, good on him. He's going to do things. And then suddenly when you're actually becoming dominant and you're caring about people in rural communities and you're seeing gaps where maybe yeah. big providers don't think it's worth it, that's where your authenticity comes out and suddenly it's like a threat. And so I can see... It's not, I don't want to say that it's flattering because you were seen as competition in some ways, but it's just, yeah, it's not kind. It's not welcoming. And it is very impressive that you persevered through that because a lot of people would have, especially at your age, 
regardless of the age would have thought okay maybe this isn't for me um and we'll get into that a little bit later but what do you think kept you going why did you keep persevering when you weren't feeling welcomed I think I I think part of it was because I already made promises to um to to these sort of these communities and I didn't want to break those promises I'd already said that you know I was working on on this and and you know people people who have always lived in this lived in urban areas don't quite understand how much of a struggle it actually is when you when you want to you know have a digital life um, when you live outside of the city and and so for these people I'd already sort of promised that I would be fixing those issues for them and I don't, didn't like the idea of you know stepping down especially after the, there had already been press coverage I didn't want to give up. Next up we have Jackie and I found this really positive and honestly not as common in discussions about social media because Jackie is an isogenics executive and she shares a lot of her life and her mission with others on social media because it's an incredible platform to do so. And we're going to dive into how she uses it, her authenticity and her realness. How do you incorporate social media into your life? And Mm. Like, is there a balance? Is there rules? Like how, yeah, how do you incorporate it? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm pretty much an open book and social media is a platform that I actually love and it gives me the opportunity to do things that I love. One of them is writing. I love to write. My mother was a writer and I I love to write. So it allows me to do that. Uh, And it also allows me to share my journey and you know, my my true desire is so simple. It's to be open and honest about my journey in the hope that I might inspire some other people to live a better life. And, and that's no matter what their age or what their background or what they've been through. You know, the thing with social media is you don't always know who you're reaching and that's totally okay with me. I don't do it. I don't write for likes and those sorts of things. I write to for my own therapy, but also to reach other people. So, you know, and to hopefully inspire change in their lives. And they are often people that won't comment publicly or um, they might even, they might be people that come up to me and speak to me privately at an event or even message me privately or you hear nothing and that's okay too. So like I said, it's a therapy for me and if it helps someone else then that's wonderful. And I try to keep it real though. I'm not fake. Life is not all sunshine and lollipops and as much as I can, you know, I share that and I've, I've carried a lot of trauma and grief from a long time ago and more recently and so do, so do so many people and these are the things that we need to talk about and, you know, I've made some changes in my life in the last few years that have really helped me to grow through all of that and I just want to show people that they can do the same. So it, it's almost like I kind of talk to the to the woman that I used to be. And does everyone resonate with it? No. Uh, no, absolutely not. But what I do on social media, I do for people that it does resonate with. And I do it with love and respect. And, you know, my social media is a mixture of things. It's my values, my family, nutrition, health, fitness, living a long life. Um, facing adversity, um, helping others, humour, raising teenagers, menopause, <laughs> being a mum, you know, grief. It's everything. It's a melting pot. So 
uh, it can be dangerous. I haven't found it to be dangerous, to be honest. I'm pretty authentic on there, so I haven't found it to be dangerous. Um, and I, I love it. I really, really love it. Now, our final guest is Deadria, and she is doing work that's honestly so profound and I felt a little unqualified speaking with her and I've chosen to do the highlight that best in a summarized way explains what it is that she is doing and there's no better person to speak about it than her so I'll just get straight into it. Yeah well right now um, what's happening is that we are in litigation against the Smithsonian institution, which is really the United States major repository for cultural artifacts, uh, uh, our history, uh, you know, from, you know, some of the uh, first jets that uh, crossed the skies or, or made it uh, anything that made it to the moon from the United States. The, it is a repository for these very special relics and artifacts included amongst those are the Benin bronzes. And the Benin bronzes are uh, cultural relics uh, made in the kingdom of Benin from the 12th century to the 19th century. Um, what we know is that the relics made from the 12th to the 15th century were made with metal that came from Northern Africa. But when that slave trade, when, I'm sorry, when that route shut down, the kingdom required that uh, their new trade partners, the Portuguese, provide the metal in exchange for the enslaved people that they were purchasing from the, from the kingdom of Benin. Now, the kingdom of Benin is located in present day Nigeria. Nigeria did not exist at the time when these relics were being made. Uh, so, the, you know, the, the nation of Nigeria is new, it's, it's relatively new, it's only from the, from the, from the, the uh, the actually started in the late, uh, late 1800s, actually, um, after the slave trading ended. Um, now, the relics that we are focused on are from the 16th to the 19th century. And essentially what it was, was there, there was a metal C-shaped object called the Manila that the Portuguese paid to the Kingdom of Benin. And then the kingdom melted those down and they made uh, the various, maybe 10,000 relics around the world. Uh, some of them are plaques, some of them are what they call overheads, um, just a variety of, of sculptures. And some of the artifacts are spiritual bells that are used for ceremonies, uh, but some of them are what we call bronzes. They're not actually these metal sculptures. Uh, some of them today are ivory, wood, and, and uh, leather. And we're not interested in those. We're only interested in the metal because these manilas were paid in exchange for us, our ancestors. Now, I don't have a specific update on how the lawsuit is going. I know it's definitely still in the works, but the restitution study group you can find online. They have the website with up-to-date news, all the deep dives if you're interested in doing so. But to segue away and looking forward to season two, I just want to thank everyone as usual. This has evolved so much from when 
I first had the inception and had brainstorms and chats with people and it has just become something even greater than I could have hoped for and I hope it continues. So I will see you all next week for season two with very special guest. Thank you so much for listening to Tall Poppy Talk. We'll see you next time. Feel free to check us out on socials, YouTube, and the website. Thanks for today's guest.